Good morning. Especially glad to have our guests with us today. Let me share a few things. I want to encourage you to look in the bulletin. We do uh, a lot of work trying to put that together, communicate with all the ministries going on so that everybody can, can be informed. We are wrapping up the month of August, and with that, we're wrapping up our summer events, We Are Family. That whole um, Wednesday night, Sunday night, those options have been um, at the uh, the shepherd's doing that at the request of the church. Some of you talking about not knowing one another, getting to know one another. So that's what we've been doing. This past Wednesday, Barrett did a great job of just giving a recap, uh, put a video together, talked about what we were trying to accomplish, uh, and I hope you were a part of that. Tonight, we're going to have Connect uh, in the team center. Uh, bring your ice cream, and you can enjoy a good night uh, with everyone. If you don't do ice cream, bring your carrots. We will not make fun of you too much. Uh, but the main thing is, is to, to be together. Uh, this coming Wednesday, final Wednesday of the month of August of the summer, uh, and if you notice on the schedule, it's home devotional. Um, that's kind of an unusual. We do that sometimes on Sunday nights. That'll be this Wednesday, but that God is in the bulletin uh, today, so you can use that for Wednesday night. Last Sunday, we had a great kickoff to our small group Bible studies, and um, those are just getting started in a really good way, and I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Um, I also want to call your attention, uh, it's on the second part of the bulletin there, grief share. We do this from time to time. Um, you may be in a situation in life where this is not where you are, what you need, but pray for those who are in that season. In fact, you may know someone who would benefit from this, and so think about that. Talk with them and encourage them. It's going to start in a couple of weeks. It's a 13-week support group, uh, no cost. Eric and Melissa Bryant do a fantastic job of, of meeting with those folks, helping, and it's just done in such a, a really good way. Uh, it's going to be at CA this year. We're, we're hosting it there, thinking that that location may help us to reach more people. Um, but you can help with that. So pray for that. Um, reach out to those you know that may be a benefit and, and help uh, spread the word for that. We are studying the book of Joshua. After 400 years in bondage and then 40 years wandering in the desert, God's people are about to enter the promised land. Now, God wanted to give it to them earlier, but they were not ready to take it. And that's what we're learning in our study of Joshua, that anything God wants to give, we have to be ready, willing to receive it. And we're discovering this principle in Joshua that taking the promised land requires warfare. I put on the screen John 10.10. 10. This is a good verse to keep in mind. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. This is Jesus talking. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. But we need to understand what this abundant life means. He, he does not say, as we would use the word, a cakewalk. He's not saying that this life is going to be a cakewalk, that everything is going to be easy. It requires warfare. And you know this. You know, after your salvation, Satan does not give up. You go to war. You have to go to war sometimes with your own pride, your own ego, your own desires. And Satan knows that when you become a child of God, you've drawn a line in the sand. And he takes notice. God wants to save everyone. That's the, the message of Scripture. But you have to receive that salvation. 
Let's look at our text, John chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. There's several things we can learn. We talked about one last week. We're going to talk about another next week, but we're going to hone into one today. But look in Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. This is the Lord speaking to Joshua. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If you don't know much about Joshua, you know that phrase, be strong and courageous. Three times in four verses, he tells Joshua this. Why? Continue Joshua as this new leader was going to set the tone. He was going to lead the people. We talked last week about courage comes when we believe in the integrity of God. And that's important to get. If you weren't here last week for that message, I encourage you to get online and, and listen to that or order a CD. But that whole idea there, believing in the integrity of God, meaning when God gives you a promise, you can bank on it. You can count on it. That is who He is. When He puts His name on it, He's putting His reputation on it. And the Bible talks about how He does things for His name's sake. That is who He is. So the question is never, will God fulfill His promise? The question is, will we step into the premise of his promise? God told him to be strong and courageous. You're going to lead these people into the land I'm going to give them. Why? Because I swore to their fathers. I told their fathers I'm going to do this, so I'm going to do this. This is who God is. God does what he says. Now, again, several key takeaways from the text. This is the first one. God's integrity. You can count on it. Here's another one, and this is going to be our lesson for today. Take heart in your inheritance. Take heart in your inheritance. In Joshua 1 verse 6, he says, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land. Think about receiving an inheritance today. What do people usually inherit? Land? Real estate? Money. Sometimes it's family treasures, maybe special jewelry or something of value. Well, God wanted these people to see that this land was promised to their family years ago. Now, they couldn't just see that because what they would see is the Canaanites living there. But God wanted them to know, in fact, if they knew the, the Torah, then they knew this was the promise. In fact, let's just go back to Genesis chapter 12. I put the verse on the screen. Genesis chapter 12, if you remember, the opening verses is when we read about Abram who became Abraham. And so just a few verses later, after God tells him to go to this land, look at verse 6. Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he says this to Abram here in chapter 12, but he continues to say that. That line is throughout Scripture. But what he's saying is the land is theirs. 
Now, you may be thinking, what does this have to do with us today? That's a great question. Because through Jesus, our Joshua, Yeshua, he wants to give us the promise. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about we can have a a skewed view of the promised land, the way we use the word. And we use that phrase in songs talking about the promised land of heaven. On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye. That line is probably ingrained in, in your mind. And there's some parts of that, that uh, and there's a way in which that's true. That, that we long for heaven. We long to be with God forever. We're, we're ready for him to come. But we're not home yet. In heaven, we're going to experience the ultimate joy of eternal life in God. One day, we're going to realize how wonderful that is. But that's not to say that eternal life cannot be enjoyed now. And here's where we've got to do some thinking about what does the Bible teach Jesus did not say, I've come to give you the promise of abundant life when you die. That's not what he says, or when you get to heaven. To think that we have no part of our inheritance on this side of the grave, we don't get that from Scripture, even though sometimes our songs, our lyrics, kind of lend itself to that kind of thinking. Think about the logic. Even in our day, when we think about an inheritance, when do you receive the inheritance? When you die? No, it's usually when someone is giving you the inheritance, it's when they die. You don't die to receive the inheritance, someone else dies, and then you receive what you are inheriting. So lock into that. You receive the inheritance when you're alive, before you die. So in that regard, if you're just taking the spiritual parallel here, eternal life in Jesus, it begins now. It's not like we have to wait until we die until we get that eternal life. Jesus died and left you an inheritance in his will. And if you want to know what that inheritance is, well, then you've got to read the will. I want to make sure we get this. Our inheritance is more accessible right now than we realize We can experience the reality of our inheritance right now just in smaller amounts. Think with me. By inheritance, I mean this abundant life Jesus is talking about. Some words come to mind. Amazing love. Ultimate joy. Perfect peace. His righteousness. His healing. His comfort. God's presence, God's power. Now, all these things are associated with heaven, but you can have a taste of these right now. The Bible says so. Consider what happens when you become a child. Look look on the screen at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is, and here's the word, a deposit. But there's a blank in your outline there. A deposit guaranteeing our inheritance unto the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So here is Paul is talking about an inheritance, but notice the wording here. The Holy Spirit is a deposit. 
Well, I looked up that Greek word. That's the NIV. It says a deposit guaranteeing. Some translations just say a guarantee. So I looked up the word. Here's what that Greek word means. An earnest. A partial payment in advance for security. Earnest money. A large sum of the payment given in advance as a security of the whole that will be paid after. Now we get this. You put a, a down payment when you're buying a house. Uh, maybe a down payment when financing a car. It's a deposit of a smaller amount of money guaranteeing that you're going to be good for the rest of the money. When you become a child of God, you receive, according to Scripture, the promised Holy Spirit. You receive an advance of what is to come in heaven. So the Holy Spirit then is a deposit of something greater yet to come. It's a smaller amount of what is to come, but you get it right here, right now. You don't get the Holy Spirit when you die. You get that inheritance now. Think about this. When Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, Matthew 6.10, you know this verse. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Think about the request here he's saying. God made things on earth as they are in heaven. One man paraphrased that prayer like this. You bring up there, down here. That's what he's talking about. Well, why did he teach us to pray that way if we cannot have a taste of what's up there, down here, now? Remember the ones who died in the wilderness had access to the land, but they wouldn't take it because they were so overcome with fear. They had heard the reports. But again, the degree to which you take it has everything to do with the degree to which you live in it. The realities of heaven are accessible right here, right now, through the Holy Spirit. But if you don't know it's yours... How do you know to claim it? If you don't know its promise, how do you know that it's out there for you to have? What does the Bible tell us about this? Remember the, the passage in Romans, I, I mentioned it last week, that whatever is written in before, talking about the Old Testament, was written to encourage us. These, these stories in the Old Testament are, are not just wonderful, good stories that we can teach our children. These are a whole lot more than just Aesop's fables. There's something for all of us to learn here. What is the God principle? What do we see about God when we read this story here? This story from Joshua is revealing God to us. So what is it that we're supposed to take? I read about a minister who preached a series of messages on stewardship. And in that series, he had a whole sermon dealing with hoarding. Can you imagine that? Some of you are thinking, maybe we need a whole sermon on hoarding. He even, as part of that question, our culture's accepted norm uh, of waiting to bless your children with your inheritance after you die. And he reasoned like this. If you live the normal life expectancy, then by the time you die, your children are going to be in their 50s, maybe 60s, at, at a point where they're about to retire. They're probably empty nesters. And for that matter, they don't really need your inheritance at that point. So he made the point that the time to help your children is while they're young. And while they need the help, instead of waiting until they're empty nesters. Of course, then when you die, they'd have the whole estate to, to, to deal with. So he advocated giving an advance on the inheritance now. 
while they're still trying to, to rear their kids, your, your grandkids, instead of them you know, having to wait till you die to get the benefit, they, you can even hear them say, thank you now. And he gave several specifics of how you could do that tax-free and, and all of that. Well, several weeks later, the minister received a letter from a young lady at church, and she explained that her parents had been visiting that weekend and went to church with them. They were convicted by the message, and they sent both her and her brother a check for $6,000. In the letter, she says, my brother and I call that the $6,000 sermon. Please preach more sermons on stewardship, especially when my parents are in town. We, you, you are welcome to have a CD made of this and mail it to whomever you wish. I'm not telling you to agree with that kind of thinking. There may be a lot of reasons not to, to do that. But that story, those parents very well illustrate the way God sees it. We don't wait until we die till we receive God's inheritance. He's wanting to give us that excess, that excess now. So here's the question. How do you get in advance? If I know that, that this is the inheritance, how, how, how do I tap into that now? Well, a couple of things come to mind. The first step, of course, is to make sure you're in the family. You become a child of God. Now, there are many people attending churches all over this world today that are not yet in the family of God. They've never yet obeyed the gospel. You must hear the good news the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came to save you from your sins. And when you believe that, when you believe that, he is the one who died for you, you confess that belief. The Bible teaches us that. You repent of your sins. That means you change your ways. You're immersed, you're baptized into Jesus Christ. And in that ba baptism, it symbolizes the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Lord. In Acts chapter 2, 38, when the people asked there on the day of Pentecost, what must we do to be saved? This is what Peter said, and he followed that saying, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's how you become his child. This is what you get. And remember what he said in Ephesians 1, that promised Holy Spirit is a deposit. But again, understand, we're not talking about this uh, everything is going to be lovely kind of theology that some people buy into. Because what comes next is warfare, not smooth sailing. Throughout history, when you are so committed to the Lord that you're baptized, that was considered truly a line in the sand. People knew that you're in, that you're committed. I mention that because... You can have an advance on your inheritance, but the size and the amount that you possess has a lot to do with you. And this is where that warfare comes in. Remember what we're learning from Joshua? He would give them everywhere they set their foot. He gave them the parameters of what was available, but he put that premise in there. I'll give you everywhere you set your foot. Here's the question. Have you ever thought about what makes heaven heaven what makes heaven heaven there's some descriptors and descriptions in, in, in the Bible but not a lot but in heaven think about it everything 
is just the way God wants it to be. In heaven, it's God's perfection. There's nothing resisting Him or His way. So what's heaven like? Perfect peace. Ultimate joy. Complete happiness. Contentment. No sin. No guilt. No shame. No pain. No tears. No disappointment. No anger. No division. No grief. If you want to know what it looks like when God gets His way, that's heaven. That's what we're talking about here. It's all that is good. It's all that is God. That is what heaven is like. And, and here's the irony. Everyone wants to go to a place as wonderful as heaven. But the reason it works, the reason it's so wonderful, is that in heaven nobody is resisting God. Nobody is selfish. Nobody's doing their own thing. There's no sin. No sinful nature. And since there's nothing resisting God, you get all of these in full measure. Peace, joy, contentment. But the Scripture teaches that we can experience these to some degree even now. That's what it means to be a part of His kingdom. And the amount you joy is the degree to which you're willing to submit to God. So here's the truth. The reason we do not enjoy these things as much as God wants us to have is that we get caught up in our own stubborn will, our own selfishness, our own self-serving will, and we're not following God. If you want to experience heaven, we've got to mimic the goal of heaven. And the degree to which you experience joy, peace, love, no shame, no regret, no pain, is ultimately the amount you submit to God. How much you believe God. How much you're willing to follow Him. So the truth of Scripture is that we need to understand there is a battle of the will. There is a war going on for the soul of man. I realize this is kind of deep, but kind of bear with me here. Let me share another scripture. Galatians chapter 5. You're familiar with this, and I share because we're familiar. But sometimes a verse that's so familiar, we kind of just read right over. So, so look at this with me. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Paul says, The works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. And that word sorcery, I looked that up. The Greek word is pharmacia. Does that sound familiar? It's where we get medicines, drugs, includes spells, enmity, he goes on to say, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, when Paul talks about the kingdom of God, Paul's talking about heaven, I think so, but he's also talking about life in the kingdom now, is he not? Is he not talking about both? Well, how do we know that? Well, if you keep reading in verse 22, he tells exactly what it looks like when you inherit this kingdom. What does that look like? Verse 22, the fruit or the evidence of the spirit, the deposit. Get what he's saying here. The evidence of this deposit is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Kind of zoom out and get the big picture. What's he saying here? These works of the flesh are what stands in the way of us receiving all the good that God wants to give us in his kingdom, of enjoying this inheritance now. We can have all these things listed, all these things, but the verse we just read, verse 19 through 21, are the giants that stand in the way. If you're involved in these things, then you're not there. Those have to be dealt with. They must be removed before we can have the inheritance of verses 22 and 23. Now, we choose, we choose to indulge in these things because deep down there's a craving we've got. Pleasure, meaning, belonging. There's something that they're offering. And they do give those temporarily for the moment, but for a price. And the consequences of all these evils ultimately is they make this life worse and not better. Think about all the things we mentioned. They make life worse, don't they? Not better. And they'll never lead us into what God wants us to have. So the next time you are tempted and you indulge in any of those, it could be drugs and alcohol, it could be jealousy, it could be a fit of anger, envy, any kind of sexual immorality, anything outside of God's parameters. And Paul even said, and things like these. So he's not an exhaustive list here. He's trying to paint a picture here. So whenever you indulge in any of these things and you wake up the next morning or you sober up or you cool off from that anger fit, ask yourself the Dr. Phil question. How's that working for you? See, God wants what's best for us. If there is a lie that Satan is, is continually to fool people with is this, that God's out to get you instead of God wants what's best for you. God loves you so much He sent His Son to die for you. But we think of the Canaanites. We think like the Canaanites do. They own the land. And they're prosperous. They have fortified cities. They're giants. They're doing so well. That's how it looks. There's no way that we could overtake them. And we assume the world and its ways, its values, its wisdom are more powerful. And if we're going to get in the good life, the life that we see them living, then we've got to be like them and do like them and act like them. But when we do that, instead of enjoying the abundant life that Jesus has promised us, we become enslaved to this carnal world that God is trying to redeem us from. He said, don't think like them and don't act like them because that's not the best life. God wants to give us what is good and not become enslaved. When we allow these giants of worldly wisdom and values to occupy our minds and our hearts, it doesn't lead us to peace. It doesn't lead us to joy. It doesn't give us contentment. In fact, we only end up deeper in the wilderness. And then we wonder, God, what have you done? Why have you abandoned us? And he's saying, you missed the whole boat. Instead, we have citizenship in the heavenly kingdom. 
that we get to taste even right now. And that's why we can pray, God, you bring up there, down here. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We no longer believe the lie that God is this cosmic cop looking to see when you step out of line so he can zap you and punish you. Instead, it's realizing Jesus came to give this abundant life right now. Look what Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 4.8. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So Paul just kind of lays it out there. This is not a hanging on and waiting until the Lord comes back and then it's going to all be worthwhile. Yes, that's true. It will be worthwhile. But it's for this present life also. Folks, you and I are at war against the sins of the flesh. And the enemy wants to take us down. And here's the reality. What's a struggle for you may not be a struggle for me. And what's a struggle for me may not be a struggle for you. There's all kinds of giants. There's all kinds of of works of the flesh as Paul listed here. I may be super eager to get an advance on my inheritance, what God wants to give me. But in doing so, when you, when you think that way, you're going to go against the grain of our culture. These giants must be taken out. So warfare demands courage. I want us to make sure we get that. Be strong and courageous. That was as true for Joshua. It's true for us today. Be strong and courageous. Well, where does that courage come from? Number one, God's integrity. God says it. He will come through. And you can bank on it. But you've got to believe that you take God for his word. And number two, you take heart from your inheritance. Courage comes from believing that through the Holy Spirit, I have this deposit. He's living in me. I get a little bit of that now. And the degree to which I enjoy that is how much I then submit to him. But do you know the terms of his will? We talked about inheritance, and usually there's a will that kind of goes with that. Well, that's next week's message, and I can't wait to get there. I'll go home and sleep. You can too. But it's going to be good, and it's right here in Joshua 1, 6 through 9. But let me close by telling you about Marty Johnson. Good Morning America told this story. Marty Johnson was looking for his birth parents. He was born after a relationship between Kathleen O'Connor Wang, a California college student, and John Ogichi, who came from the States from Nigeria, seeking a master's degree in education. They were not ready to be parents, to get married, so they put the child up for adoption. He was raised in a wonderful home. He got married, living his life as a mortgage banker, really had no desire to to research his birth parents, but his wife encouraged him to, and his children, his son and daughter encouraged him to. So he was able to connect with his birth mother, and then while trying to locate the father, he received a life-changing letter. The letters read like this, Welcome to the Ogeechee Dynasty. You come from a noble and prestigious family. And the letter went on to explain that Johnson's father was the current chief of one of the wealthiest villages of all of Nigeria, and now he was next in line to inherit everything. Marty Johnson traveled 6,000 miles to meet a family he never knew. 
a reporter that was accompanying him wrote this. People were dancing in the driveway, and there were all these relatives, cousins, and uncles, all these people Marty had never met in his entire life, treating him as though he was some kind of miracle. Researching his family tree turned out to be a life-changing experience for Marty Johnson. Now, he still lives in Minnesota, still a mortgage broker, lives there with his wife and his daughter. The article did say the daughter does like to think of herself as a princess. In some ways, things have never changed at all. And yet, at the same time, everything's changed because he knows who his father is. I put two questions at the end of your outline. They're on the screen. How many people, think about this, how many people really know who their heavenly father is? How many people really know God? And how many of God's children know all that is in store for them? How many who have been adopted through Jesus Christ who are in the family, realize, oh, our God is so good. And He wants to give good gifts to His children. But He wants to know if you want them. Are you ready to take a step? Take an advance on your inheritance? How much do you believe? Our invitation today is to invite you to be a part of the family. That's what God wants. That's what we want. If you've never yet confessed that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, now's the time. If you've never yet been baptized, now's the time. And we'll celebrate with you. And we'll help you along. And we'll welcome you into the family. And then arm in arm, we can help one another to take an advance on this inheritance, this abundant life that our good God wants to give us. If you need Jesus, if we can pray for you, won't you come as we stand and sing to encourage. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift His countenance upon